Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Uncommon Drive Podcast with Jeff Cross and Chad Ozy. Join us as we look at life, leadership, and legacy through the lens of sports officiating. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Uncommon Drive with Jeff Cross, and I'm Chad Ozy. And today we have a very special guest that I know you are going to love getting to hear her story. And so, Jeff, why don't you uh, introduce her for us? Well, this is a pretty easy introduction to do because Angie's a really good friend of mine. We've known each other for many years. I don't know how many years, but um, ever since I've met Angie, she has uh, always been endearing toward me and you know supportive of, of my accomplishments and my goals. So um, this is a true privilege to be able to introduce her. So I'm going to start off first. 28 years of uh, NCAA officiating. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, 25 of those is Division One. Okay, um, 14 Division One NCAA. Uh, tournament appearances, uh, one Division II national title game, two NIT, WNIT national title games, and nine conference finals. Miss Angie Hamlin. That's awesome. <laughs> Hi, gang. How are we doing? That's good stuff right there. Thanks, I, listen, I wish all these numbers, I thought I was like, you know, going through a Sudoku page or something. There's so <laughs> many numbers in here. So. Stop it. Hmm. <laughs> that is so amazing. Angie, tell us just a little bit about how you got your start at officiating. Uh, well, it actually, it started with um, softball. Uh, I started um, the summer after I graduated from high school, um, started doing softball, um, eight, nine, 10 year old uh, girls in Michigan, where I grew up and uh, proceeded on to do um, a lot of men's and women's um, fast pitch. Um, I was still playing softball at the time, so I did mostly men's fast pitch, uh, worked Big Ten um, softball. Uh, and then when I went to grad school, continued on with that. And then so I did about I think it was nine years of softball. And then when I was in grad school, one of the guys that I umpired softball with asked if I wanted to try basketball. And I'm like, mm, no, too much mm. running. <laughs> and I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> and so, uh, but then my second year of grad school, I shared an apartment with three of my classmates. So four women in a two bedroom apartment, all working on their master's thesis. And uh, all of a sudden getting out as much as I could sounded like a really good idea. So tried doing, uh, tried basketball, um, worked in the Parkway Rec League in St. Louis and uh, did girls and boys like third through seventh grade and then went to a camp. Uh, the summer of 1995. And the next thing you know, I was working a division two game at Missouri Southern the following November. Wow. And there you have it. So that's absolutely amazing. Yeah. So I had no idea that you, you did softball first. So I did, Mm -hmm. you brought that, that secondary sport into, uh, into basketball. That's amazing. Yeah. My last game, my last softball game actually was the gold medal game of the 1994 Olympic festival 
which they don't have anymore, but that was actually the Olympic festival that they chose our first um, United States Olympic softball team from. So, so got to go out on a kind of a high note uh, with that. And that, and that was it. I walked off and never, never did another game. So it was great. I want to ask this question um, because so many people we talk to that officiate and that officiate at a high level like yourself or have some success in, in no matter what sport that is, they're almost always multiple sport officials. They have done multiple sports at one time. Very rarely do you see someone that they've only done one sport and reach, you know, a, a pinnacle uh, of success. So my question to you is, with you doing softball, then basketball. Now you pretty much separated them. You didn't do them both at the same time. If you did, it was very Correct. minimal. What do you think softball did for you? Being a softball umpire made you a better basketball referee. Um, well, it, softball, I, I don't know that it was necessarily softball per se, but just the fact that I got to learn all the ins and outs of officiating in general, all those mm-hmm. things that we talk mm-hmm. about, you know, being on time, setting schedules, knowing where you're going, um, crisp, clean uniforms and looking, you know, knowing how to look the part, learning how to communicate with, um, with partners, with coaches. And certainly in softball, we don't have yellow cards. We don't have warnings. We don't have technical fouls. You're either in the game or I'm throwing you out. Um, Mm. so, you know, learning how to communicate, um, you know, at the time I'm 19, 20 years old and communicating with 30, 35, 45, 50 year old men, and learning the language that you had to speak, you know, and certainly the language that I'm allowed to use in softball was a lot different than it is, you know, with basketball, it's just very different, but um, just, you know, getting angles, learning to hustle, um, learning to work hard, learning to work smart, um, just all those things that I think apply to every sport um, was where I I got to break in. And honestly, um, living in Midland, Michigan, where I grew up, um, we had, the best of the best um, in the country in softball in my backyard. Um, the John Wooden of softball officiating, um, Bill Humphrey was my next door neighbor. And I don't think that he, I don't think there was a plate game that I worked in softball for my first three years that he didn't watch. And then he dragged me off by the shirt collar at the, after the end of the game. And he'd sit with me in the stands for another hour after that. And just, we just talk about umpiring and then being surrounded by, you know, 20 to 25 of the best officials in the country every weekend working tournaments was such a, a bonus to me. And there's no way that I would be in the position I am from a basketball standpoint if I hadn't had that influence teaching me to be, you know, teaching me the right way and, and teaching me how to be the best from the right out of the shoot. So great answer. Yeah. Absolutely. Angie, we know that people that have achieved the kind of success that you have at the division one level, um, you know, many of them focus on that officiating as, as their full-time job. Mm-hmm. You're one of, uh, of many people that, that work division one at that level who, who still work a full-time job on mm-hmm. top of uh, the officiating, which we all know is a full-time job. So you work two sure. full-time jobs and, and you, mm-hmm. you make that balance happen with what you do. 
And uh, that, that brings a, a few things that are a little bit different, uh, but very relatable to many of our people that listen to our podcast, because most of our people mm-hmm. that listen are either working lower levels or, or have not yet gotten to that point. Uh, what are some of the, the unique things for you uh, that, that are challenging or maybe gratifying both about, about kind of living in both worlds? Um, well, I, first of all, I'm an occupational therapist, so I work with primarily Alzheimer's and dementia patients. So that certainly, um, provides itself in and of itself a full-time, you know, full-time day worth of challenges. Um, Mm -hmm. I do enjoy, I love my job and, um, I, you know, and honestly, if you had to put a gun to my head and if I was paid the same for both, I would absolutely be an OT before I would be a referee. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's not for my lack of love of what I do on the court, but I just love being able to go to work and work with these people and work with their families. So I think for me, it's a pretty easy, it's an easy trip. I mean, now the, you know, the challenge obviously becomes once we get to, you know, December, January, February, and you've now gone, you know, three months without a full night's sleep um, because I don't get to go to a game that's four hours away and spend the night and, you know, sleep till noon, get up and drive to the next one. I've got to be home and, you know, with a patient usually by eight, eight thirty in the morning. So, um, I think that's the biggest challenge, but I, for me, it creates a great, um, balance because it's very easy as I think any referee on this planet will, you know, has succumbed to getting swallowed up by it. Mm-hmm. And the, the, you know, you get swallowed up by the, the adrenaline of games mm-hmm. and you get swallowed up by people talking about, Oh, well, where were you last night? Or, what game did you have? Or, Oh, I saw you on TV last night or all of those things that we've all talked about um, in the past. And for me, go then, I then go to work and I'm struggling to help these people remember their names or their names of their kids or uh, even how to, uh, how to feed themselves or get dressed. And all of a sudden the game that you worked last night, or then the, you know, the call from your video coordinator with clips from coaches because you missed a travel um, quickly become very, um, I don't want to say irrelevant, um, but not nearly as important as what we or other people would put on them because I've got bigger issues to deal with that day. So for me, it provides a very quick exit from what we seem to be important things um, because I'm dealing with important things now. So kind of, kind of puts it in perspective a little bit, right? You know, we, you know, we, we got, you're dealing with people on a daily basis would love to be able to just remember their family members or family members would love for them to say, Hey, they know who I am. And we've got, you know, this travel that we potentially missed or didn't get, you know, so I think that's a great perspective. Yeah, there is a, there's absolutely not a, there's no emotion that I'll ever get on a, on a basketball court that I will experience when you see one of my patients that does now remember their family member that maybe they haven't for the past couple of months, or maybe they, you know, they feed themselves or, uh, or walk, you know, maybe for the first time in a month. And there's no greater joy than that. And it won't be ever matched on a basketball court. Mm. That's, probably, that's anywhere. probably anywhere, uh, right. prob- probably anywhere. Probably anywhere. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So Angie, I remember very vividly, uh, I was in Wisconsin working a division three basketball game. I was in the locker room, uh, immediately following my game. Uh, and I got a text, uh, from a fellow official, uh, who happens to be on this call with us. And they, 
<laughs> yeah. It's uh, it simply said, Angie's hurt. Be praying. That's that's exactly what it was. And I uh, got I got a, a clip uh, a little bit later uh, that somebody had, had gotten, and uh, it was it was a big moment across the women's basketball officiating world. In fact, um, beyond that, it it hit national news and things like that. Um, and I know from, from what you told us, there are a lot of things about that, that you don't necessarily remember from, from the moment, but can you tell us just a little bit about what happened to you last year? Uh, sure. Yeah. But the parts that I, obviously there's, there's parts of this that I'm telling you just strictly from watching the video, um, Mm -hmm. myself, because I honestly, I don't remember. Um, but I, I was at Michigan state, um, they were playing Rutgers uh, February 24th. I, that is a date I know that it will be ingrained in my mind. Um, game is over. Uh, Rutgers, I believe, wins by 10. Um, I am closest to the scores table and I had looked over my shoulder to um, just to confirm the score with the group before we left. And one of the Rutgers players is um, uh, celebrating the win um, or if any of you are familiar with the Top Gun movie, um, she was communicating um, with the <laughs> Michigan State bench, um, appropriately or, or otherwise, um, and doesn't see me coming. So she is running um, from the opposite end um, towards center court back to, to Rutgers' bench. Um, my back is turned, and as um, I turn to go off the floor, she just flattens me. Um, so, uh, I, fortunately she's much taller than I was, so I didn't strike her, you know, head to head. Um, but I struck her, well, her chest, nobody ever says that I struck her. Everybody always says that she ran into me. I don't understand that, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, but, uh, out of it, um, so I hit her, I mean, full force, um, broke my nose, had whiplash from the initial impact. And then, she basically lifted me completely off the floor. And the first thing that hit was the back of my head on the floor of Michigan state and was knocked out for, I don't really know how long um, I've heard anywhere from 45 seconds to three minutes. I don't really know a a long enough time period. Mm -hmm. So, and that's kind of the basic crux of the, of the event. Wow. So when that happened, go ahead, Jeff, sorry. Well, I'm just, I feel like she's underselling it a little bit. You know what I mean? When people see this video, if they get a chance to see this video and, you know, Angie is, it was, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of uh, the most graphic way I can see it. When I first time I saw it, it was, it was breathtaking for me. Like I couldn't breathe and I wasn't even hurt. You know, now granted a little bit had to do with, cause I know who you are, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm friends with you that had a little bit more impact on me, but the, the collision that went on between uh, these two human beings was uh, second to none that I've ever seen. I'm sure there's many more worse collisions out there, but I mean, we, we're talking about unprotected, you know, there's no helmets, there's no shoulder pads, there's no nothing. And we had a player that was running full force into another person that is completely stationary for the most part um, right. and not looking blindsided. Um, and when Angie said she came off the floor, that is correct. I mean, her feet, everything, it's if just imagine, you know, almost as if a two by four standing up and it just fell and came off the ground and just landed completely flat, completely still. And um, it's a, it's an image that it probably will never escape my brain for as long as I live. And uh, I know that you can't remember of it, but uh, there are many people 
that that know you personally that will never forget this image. So that's what I've been told. Um, mm. Yeah, and I and again, I think you know, the if there's a blessing in all of this is that I don't remember it. Um, mm-hmm. I have certainly I've seen it on the video a, a million times. I've actually. I mean, I've watched it hoping that some part of this memory will come back to me, but it just never does. So um, my memory loss goes back to, I don't remember being, I don't remember the game itself. Um, I remember vaguely being in the locker room with the crew beforehand. Um, I was with uh, Carolina Tobin and Nakisha Thompson, and then Nicole Fisher was our alternate that day. Um, And I feel really bad for Carolina Tobin because that was the first day I had ever met her. So my, my interaction with her is, you know, an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. And right now, if she was sitting next to me, I wouldn't recognize her. So, mm-hmm. and apparently I didn't recognize either her and Akisha with them standing over the top of me um, with their referee shirts on. I had no idea who they were when, when medical personnel were taking care of me. So I don't remember. I mean, I'm also staring up at the bottom of the Michigan State scoreboard that was, you know, directly above us hanging from the ceiling with Michigan State and the Spartan logo. And when they asked me where I was, I couldn't tell them. Mm. So apparently. Yeah. For for people that haven't seen the uh, the clip, I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where a lot of times we see collisions in sports and, and I don't care what the sport is. We we see it. We go, ooh, that was a big hit. But you really don't worry about whether or not the person's OK. Um, this was a moment where everybody had doubt in their mind the moment they saw the clip is she okay whether they knew you whether they didn't immediately the thing that went through people's minds is is there any way she's okay because it doesn't look like she is and the reason that we that we want to say that is because you know this is a it's a crisis moment in any time we have something like this happen it's it's obviously a crisis as somebody who works in therapy mm-hmm. uh, I, my wife is a physical therapist who used to deal with brain injury patients and <laughs> will tell me all the time the things that can happen that can can cause issues with uh you know with 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 brain injuries and so this is a this is a serious thing that happens um as, as you begin to come to, as they're working with you at the hospital, as you spend time there, you know, what are the things that are kind of beginning to go through your mind? What are the things that are happening afterwards uh, from within the officiating community and all after, after you experience this? Um, well, there, there was a lot that went on. I would love to be able to tell you what that was. Um, mm-hmm. I literally do not remember. Um, there are... Um, I, I don't remember really any more. I don't remember probably the next three weeks okay. at all. Um, I have little, little snippets of um, things that, you know, little flashes of things that I remember. Uh, nothing that I remember in the hospital. Um, I do remember the, I vaguely remember rolling into the hospital while I was on the backboard, still, you know, in the sea collar. And I remember feeling sun on my face. That's all I remember of that day. I don't remember that night. Um, I do remember the the Michigan State trainer was the only person that was allowed to come in and see me because certainly, especially in Michigan, we were still under really um, pretty significant COVID protocols. Mm-hmm. So nobody was allowed in, but they did allow the Michigan State trainer in. She came up and visited me. I think uh, it might have been the day after, actually. Um, and I vaguely remember her being there. Um, the, I was in the hospital for five days. Um, uh, my boyfriend, Scott came up to pick me up. I vaguely remember him coming up to the room to get me. Um, I don't remember driving home. I don't remember getting home. 
and I know that I had very coherent conversations with many people, either on the phone, via text. Um, I don't remember any of them. Um, so it, it's, it's, that part of it is very bizarre to me, not having, having worked with people with dementia and then literally becoming one seemingly, mm. oh, wow. um, yeah, it, uh, it definitely gave me a brand new perspective of how, how things work. Um, certainly in a little bit different fashion. Um, and fortunately for mine, it's not permanent as far as I know. <laughs> so, right. although we'll, we can prove that later. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. um, That's right. yeah, so, but I, I had literally constant, um, communication, um, obviously with, with Patty Broderick and, you know, referee friends across the country. Um, I had, uh, you know, commissioner Warren from the big 10 called me. I spoke to Lisa Byington, who was the announcer on the game for the Big Ten Network, Sue Marriott, who was the producer. Um, I spoke to a producer from ESPN because they had all made the decision to pull um, the collision. They showed it once and then they did, they decided to pull it. And but all these conversations and I had emails, uh, cards, phone calls, uh, flowers, food from literally 700, well, over 700 different people. Um, I lost track. Um, I mean, so the, the outpouring of support, concern, love, um, prayers, blessings, it was overwhelming, quite frankly, and from all walks of life, um, not just referees. I mean, I got text messages from ex-players. Uh, I got text messages mm. or emails from fans, um, certainly coaches, um, current players, table crews, um, TV uh, personalities. It was overwhelming really overwhelming. And I feel really bad. I'm glad I saved most of them. And I think in the meantime, I have gotten back to just about everybody that reached out to me. Um, but it was the, uh, just the support in general was overwhelming. And it just really proves to you, you know, thank God, you know, the humanity, um, mm -hmm. did kind of show itself again, despite all the junk that we were going through last year, um, with COVID and, and everything else. And so it was, um, it was amazing. And it's unfortunate. That I don't remember most of it. I don't know if you're going to go here, Chad, but I want to ask this question. And um, if it's further down the line, we can table it. But, you know, here we are six, eight months later, right? You know, we're about to start the season. In those, that time frame from injury in February to starting the season up again here in October, late October, early November, was there ever a time where you said, can I do this again? And if so, if yes, what did you do to overcome that hurdle? Like, okay, I'm questioning whether or not I can do it, but I'm going to overcome this hurdle and, and I'm going to continue because I think um, people need to hear that part of that story. Uh, I got to be honest. I don't remember there ever being a time that I thought, no, I was never going to go back and do this or that I was never going to be able to do it. Um, actually, I think it was quite the opposite. Um, I think, and again, because not having seen it and not knowing exactly how it, you know, what happened and not being able to remember it, I probably had a lot of, a lot less of the PTSD that you might anticipate because I just didn't remember so much of what, what happened. I actually remember the neurologist actually did tell me, um, while I was in there. And I, I do remember this, he told me that I was lucky that I didn't die from the collision because of the, the force and the impact. Um, but I remember him telling me that it was going to take probably three to four months before I would feel back to normal. And I remember thinking that it was hogwash. And I thought mm -hmm. I was going to go home. I would, you know, I'd 
you know, take a nap for about a week and I'd go back to work and I'd be fine. And it actually, um, the three to four months was very much an underestimated time period. Um, it was every bit of five months before I was, I would, would call myself back to normal and able to do everything that I really wanted to do. Um, but no, I would, I don't, I don't ever remember thinking that, you know, no, I'm not going back and doing this. Um, and so, but fortunately I had enough time where I was able to, you know, get back and, and do everything. And, you know, every day, I don't want to say every day got better because it didn't. Um, but I, it was just kind of the next, the next thing. What do you do next to go get ready for the next season? You know, you get done, you put your stuff away, but then the rule books are out. You're getting in shape again for camp. Um, you know, you continue to get in shape. You've got the rule books out. You start your study groups, you know, you go to meetings, you take your tests and the season starts. And that's kind of just kind of how I've approached it. There was just an extra added element of getting into shape, if you will. And that was kind of, that was just kind of my mentality. And some of that I would attribute to because that is something you've done consistently for 28 years. You know, this is a very normal process for you. You're not taking on anything new. This is something you've been doing consistently. So you're going to continue with your consistent, um, your day-to-day work to, to, to form this body of work. And no matter what the injury or the, 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 the thing that slows you down for that moment you're going to stay consistent in what you've done for the past 28 years. So someone who is not consistent may have a harder time that may have crossed their mind. Like, is it really, am I doing this anymore? Those kind of things. But the consistency of the 28 years had to help with that. Certainly. I mean, it's just the next, the next step. I mean, and Mm -hmm. you know, I think things just kind of uh, maybe the timeline got shoved back a little bit because Mm -hmm. um, you know, just to kind of give you an idea of what, the last eight months have been like, you know, the first two months, um, I couldn't turn my head without getting sick. I mean, I had vertigo, uh, pretty violently for a solid two months and was in therapy three days a week for that. Um, the longstanding problems, um, with actually came more from the whiplash. Um, so I had a lot of issues with range of motion in my shoulders. I couldn't raise my head, my arms up above my head until probably August. Um, Coaches would have loved that. You couldn't have called a foul. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I have no doubt about that. I mean, but it was, it took until probably the end of July before I had enough grip strength in my hands to turn a doorknob, Mm. um, to, you know, squeeze toothpaste. Um, a lot of times I didn't have enough, uh, even sometimes coordination enough to tie shoes. So, Mm. and so, yeah, that, that part was the, the real challenge just doing day-to-day things. And thank God I'm an occupational therapist because I was able to teach myself, you know, different ways to do things. <laughs> so yeah, I, I got free therapy for myself. Love it. You know, you mentioned that there were lots of people that reached out to you both inside the officiating world and, and out. And, and it was really great to hear you say that there were other people within the world of, of basketball that reached out, whether that was, mm-hmm. you know, TV personnel, fans, players, coaches, um, I, I think a lot of people that are are in the officiating world understand that there is a competitiveness to it. You know, we we all want to get better. We all want to elevate. We all want the big game. We all want the better schedule, the bigger check, whatever those things might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm hearing from you is that at the end of the day, 
it, it wasn't the competitive side of what we do that you experienced. It was that community side of what mm-hmm. we do that you experienced. Can you just talk a little bit, even though you couldn't remember it in the moment, looking back on it, how does that affect you? Well, I think you're just, you know, it's hard not to walk away just feeling blessed with what I think we all, obviously we all do this game refereeing, you know, and, and involved with basketball or whatever sport um, because we love the game and we love that challenge of being perfect. But I think it really is a more proof positive to what the end goal of this business really should be. And that's just to, to establish and, and maintain as many amazing friendships and relationships as you can. And I think, um, I think for me, I've always tried to do that. I mean, probably not always successfully because, you know, we don't get along with everybody, but I think for me, that was really more proof that, and not only that, but there's proof that there's just good people everywhere and that people do really want the best, you know, for everybody, even though there are times where it feels like we probably, we all think we know people that would probably eat their firstborn child to get another game (laughs) and certainly would eat yours. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think what it proves is that, you know, when push comes to shove, people really do, uh, they care about you as, as a person. And I think our refereeing, um, just family in general are, are like that. And I didn't need this to happen to know that. Um, I certainly knew that, but I think you really find out a lot about people. And I found out, I knew it already, but it really showed itself in this. And I think that Uh, we as officials can congratulate ourselves and just the fact that, yeah, this is what we do for each other when bad things happen. Uh, Jeff and I actually had a conversation last night on a, on a way back from a game as we were thinking about this conversation today. And um, Jeff made a a comment along the lines of, well, you know, don't you think this is, this is kind of how our entire uh, officiating community is like, you know, that yes, we would rally around and support someone and that kind of thing. And, and I pushed back on Jeff a little bit uh, on that as I am, as I tend to do from time to time, um, because I, I don't think that's always the way that the uh, officiating community is. I, I said to Jeff that I think part of the reason he sees it through that lens is because many of the people that he has surrounded himself with from within that community are those kind of people. Mm-hmm. I know we've got people uh, listening to our podcast today that uh, they, they may work lower levels. They may work junior high and high school, you know, baseball, basketball, football, whatever. And, and they've not experienced that kind of community. They may be in uh, lower level college stuff where everybody's trying to figure this thing out and they haven't figured out that component yet that yes, there is this community side to it. And uh, I want to share a a quick little story that that I think helps explain why you got the outpouring that you got, Angie. Um, Last year, during pandemic, middle of the season, I got hired in a new league. Now, it was one of those availability trumps ability kind of things. When the assigner needs somebody, really doesn't matter how good you are, just matters if you can get to the game kind of thing. Uh, And so I got my my first step into a, a new level in a new conference with a, an assigner that I wanted to work for that kind of thing and was super excited about it. Game went well, that kind of stuff. A couple of days later, I'm traveling home after a game and I get a phone call and it's Angie on the other end of the line. And Angie had heard through the grapevine that I'd gotten that, that assignment. And immediately it was congratulations. How did it go? Who did you work with? All that kind of thing. Now I know Angie, 
uh, a privilege to be able to call her a friend. I've not known her as long as Jeff has. I've got to go watch Angie work games. I've got to sit in pregames that she's been. But there was nothing about my situation that required Angie to have to make a phone call to me about a division two assignment that I happened to get. There, there was nothing about that, but she took time out of her day. We already told you she, she works full-time job and she's full-time official. And she took the time out to do that. And so I believe that part of the reason you got that response is because you're the kind of person that would have given that response to somebody else. I believe you're one of those people that are cultivating that family community relationship that we talk about within the world of officiating. And our, our podcast is all about being uncommon. And I think there, that's a very uncommon trait in the day and age that we live in, mm. you know? And so I, I think you need to be, uh, I, I think our listeners need to be reminded that part of the reason that response happened, it, you just said it, it didn't just happen officials that you worked with, but it happened from table personnel. Well, table personnel don't reach out if you've not been the one making them feel important when you walk into a game. We just talked about that in the previous podcast, you know, the, the coaches, you, that means you've built relationships with them. Play, I mean, for players to reach out later and do that. I mean, I mean, that's huge. Don't, don't you think that's kind of the case, Jeff? Well, uh, for sure. I, I would like to add that what happens is, this is my belief, is when we have an effect, and Angie, tell me if I'm wrong here, the reason we're, you're getting such an outpouring response from, you know, hundreds of people is if your 28 year experience, you've built up this, this body of work and this body of respect within the officiating community and with the women's basketball uh, community. And they respect how you treated them. So the last thing, not that anybody wants something bad to happen to anybody. Right. But I know many people that get injured. And if I, if I don't know them, or if maybe I don't have a relationship with them, or maybe I haven't, um, you know, you know, even heard anything about their body of work, I may or may not reach out. I probably would because that's who we are, right? That's what we're trying to be is uncommon. And that has your un uncommon demeanor through the past 28 years, which probably longer, I'm just speaking officiating, has caused for the uncommon response of what happened to you in February. Well, I'm humbled by the words and I, you know, I've, I've tried very hard. I mean, let's be honest though. I mean, the minute a lot of people, you know, the minute I got hurt, probably about, you know, 12 hours after everybody found out, you know, if they were okay, they were probably all hoping to get my reassigned games after I had to give the rest of my season back. But yeah, and that, they were and for sure okay. updating their calendar for sure. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> and you know what I've done? I've been, I've been there too. I, I don't want to sit here and act like, you know, I've been a saint the entire 28 years that I've been refereeing because we've all been there. We've all done that. You know, and when you're, when you're busy chasing, you know, your dream and, you know, you, you tend not to do things you know, maybe in the best possible light, you, you do want to, you know, grasp any opportunity that you can, you know, and you want, I would, you know, certainly never wish bad things upon anybody, but certainly, you know, we were, you know, you, you were flipping pages on the calendar to go back to the old days, you know, to see mm -hmm. if you were open, you know, just cause you knew when, you know, did I have any Saturdays open? Um, but I think, you know, certainly as you get older, you just realize that the better, that you treat other people. Um, and just the, 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 if you can do things the right way, good things are going to happen to you regardless. And, um, maybe not in, in your time frame, but you are going mm -hmm. to reap the benefits of treating everybody, um, the way you're supposed to be, 
um, the way you want to be treated yourself. And if you do that, um, and you may not like always the people that you're refereeing with, but if you treat your partners and, and all the people that you come in contact with down to the janitors, when you're leaving the arena, um, with the kindness and generosity that you should treat every human being, this really is all going to come back to you. And, and, and I was fortunate un or unfortunately, you know, I experienced, you know, for all the wrong reasons, I got mm -hmm. to experience that being given back to me. And it was uh, very humbling. You know, one of the questions that I think we've skipped over and I want to make sure I ask this question. So we're going to go backwards a little bit. We're going to go back. You, know, you got injured February. What was the date again? 28th? February 24th. 24th. February 24th. So mm -hmm. clearly we're at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Clearly we have some postseason that, you know, I mean, we already said your resume, you spent, you know, 14 years in the NCAA tournament, uh, NIT finals. So there had to be some postseason that either you were slated for, or we don't know how that was going to work, but that you ended up losing over this injury. Walk us through a little bit of that mindset, you know, as you're, you know, I don't want to say fighting for your life, but you're fighting to get back to normal, plus also losing what potentially could be um, some more postseason assignments for you. Um, honestly, wasn't even, was not even part of my daily thought process. I mean, Jeff I, and Chad, both the, I, I got to tell you the biggest accomplishment I had for the first three weeks that I was home was getting downstairs to feed my cats and fill the bird feeders. Mm. I mean, so for me to get down the stairs, um, and not fall over, um, was all I was really concerned about. I had to be that cognizant of every step I took. So, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't really tolerate watching a whole lot of TV um, after the after the injury. So, I mean, I did watch it, but honestly, I don't remember. I remember thinking to myself, you know, it would, yeah, it'd be fun to be doing these, but it was such not on the priority list of watching and, you know, wishing that I could be there because um, I just had such bigger challenges that I was dealing with on a daily basis that it didn't, it didn't phase me. And, you know, now that I know what has happened, do I, do I miss the opportunity to have worked another tournament or uh, I miss the people that I would have worked with, but no, I mean, this, you know, again, I, I don't know what the purpose of this whole injury was, but I mean, there was a plan for it. There was a, a reason for it. Um, and so it is what it is. I'm not going to look back and wish and regret that I missed certain things because I just didn't. Um, I didn't, I didn't have room for it um, at the mm -hmm. moment. Well, I think the, the, the one second, Chad, that I want to finish this thought is what's happened is everyone listening, right? We all, if, if we're perfectly healthy, guess what we do? And we don't get posted assignment. We get frustrated. We get frustrated. Well, how come I didn't get this posted? And I'm, I deserve that. Or I deserve this when really we should be thinking, you know, I'm going to call it the, the Angie Enlin rule of thumb, right? Hey, you could be struggling just to walk downstairs to feed your cats. Mm -hmm. So don't worry about it. If you got a postseason game, you know, you should be thankful that you, you can do that without any, uh, you know, problems at all. And you can go through your day-to-day -day life without any issues where you were missing out on games and just not just struggling to do those simple day-to-day -day tasks. And that's where people, I think, should find that perspective. You know, it, it, oh, I didn't get an IHSA playoff game or whatever that may be, when really you need to be thinking, what's Angie Anglin doing? Well, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest, let's be honest, I'll, you know, at the end of this year, if I don't get a game that I wanted, or if I don't get an assignment, I'll probably go back to that, um, you know, because we always do. 
And yeah. not mm-hmm. that I'm sitting there saying, oh, why is so-and-so working the game? It's just why, I, what did I not do to get that assignment? And it may not be mm-hmm. anything. Um, you know, it may just be that there was somebody farther up the, you know, up the chain and not to say that there was anything wrong with, with me or whoever is, you know, talking about it. But I just, um, this year in particular, just, it just wasn't a priority. Yeah. You know, hopefully nothing along the scale of what happened to you on February 24th happens to another official this year, regardless of sport. We, we just don't want to see that happen, but we know that injuries are going to take place. Uh, there's going to be somebody working a basketball game that's going to tear up a knee, pivoting to to go to new lead. You know, there's there's going to be somebody that's that's going to have an issue with with hard or something. We we know every year these kinds of things happen, and especially at all the levels that that people work, um, it, it's going to happen. Do you have any any suggestions, any words of wisdom after what you went through? For somebody this year that, you know, they get a couple months in and all of a sudden they've got to step off the court for two months because something happened. Uh, one, don't rush back um, mm-hmm. because all you're doing is um, putting yourself at further risk. Um, you're putting the biggest thing is that when you try to go out and referee after you've been hurt um, and you try to come back too early because we're all greedy and that's let's get down to it. We are greedy. And we are certain that the basketball world can't live without us. Um, And then we also like the check that comes with it, whatever that amount might be. Um, But by coming back too early, not only are you putting yourself at risk, but you're really putting your partners at risk because they're having to cover for you. They know they have to cover for you. And that's not fair to them because they're not getting paid more than you are to, to cover the game. So and, and, and in the bottom, you know, the bottom line is the 10 kids that are playing that night, they don't, they deserve better than that. So, you know, before you think that the world can go on, I mean, they played the whole, whole NCAA tournament without me <laughs> and they did just yeah. fine. <laughs> so they did just fine. Um, you know, all those conference games that I missed, you know, they all played them. They all got played uh, and they did it just fine without me. And so I just think that, you know, don't, you can't rush back um, work hard to get back, but uh, don't rush back. Um, don't put your partners at risk by coming back too early. And certainly just remember that those 10 kids deserve better than you being on the floor hurt. No, that's, that's great. And for those of us that might, might have friends in the fishing world who, who go down with that injury, you know, mm-hmm. and I know for, for three weeks, you didn't, you, you didn't know everything that was going on and you were trying <laughs> to respond. I, I remember really specifically Rob Doss, um, who's a, a division two assigner. Um, and I know you've had a great relationship with him for a lot of years, teaching mm-hmm. at his camps and things like that. You know, one of the very first things that Rob did to all of us on his staff was sent out uh, an email saying, look, um, be thinking about her, be praying for her, but this is not the time to be contacting her because <laughs> things are crazy <laughs> and that kind of stuff. And, you know, they did their absolute best to get information out to us. And so, I mean, people obviously were concerned from the get go and we're doing a great job of communicating, but is there a, an advice that you could give us? If, if we have somebody that, that we're in relationship with that goes down, what are things that we can do that can be an encouragement to them? I think just reach out, you know, and don't let it, and this is hard because we, we all get very wrapped up and we're very in the moment, what's in front of our face, you know, type of of people, just because that's what we have to do during the season. But um, again, don't forget. I mean, there don't call them or text them or email them the day after it happens. 
and then wipe your hands of it and forget about it. You know, call them, Hey, how's your rehab going? Or, Hey, we're missing you. You know, this is where we're going. Keep them in the loop. I mean, don't, don't ostracize them. And, and certainly I don't think anybody does that intentionally, but remember to that, that it's a struggle for them staying at home and not being able to work and just to continue to, to reach out. They were your friends before they were hurt. They were, they're your friends. Now they were your partner, your coworker, um, continue to reach out because that becomes very supportive in and of itself, just knowing that, Hey, people are looking forward to having me back. Mm-hmm. And so that, that can be enough of that impetus when you don't want to go do what you're supposed to do that day, whether it's the stretching routine or the running or whatever it is that they have to do to get back. Um, they may not have the, the desire to do it that day. And trust me, I know how that feels. Um, but that one phone call saying, Hey, looking back, looking forward to having you back you know, whatever day that's going to be might be all they need to get doing what they need to do that day. That's a really good word, Angie. Jeff, do you have the, uh, any other questions as we kind of begin to, to wrap up our time together? Yeah, I don't have any questions. I, I just have a comment, right? You know, and we, we need to understand, you know, I've tried to paint the picture of how violent a crash this was, but we need to understand that there are so many people that would have just shut it down. And, you know, Angie's already mentioned that that never crossed her mind that she wasn't going to continue. Um, and if, if you could take anything out of this, you know, 45 minutes, there's nothing you can't get past. And if, and if you take, you know, Angie's state of mind and her uncommon drive that she has to, you know, to withstand an injury like this and still be back the next season, I mean, that that is... It is the you're like the 0.05% of the community, not just officiating community, but the you know the people at regular jobs. When it gets difficult, the first thing they want to do is quit. When it gets hard and someone doesn't like them at work, or they you know what whether it's an injury or not, they want to just shut it down and they want to stop. And I use the word tenacity and grit all the time. In phrases like do hard things, she is a picture of tenacity and grit and do hard things. I am very, very honored to call you my friend. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Both of you. Thank you so much. Well, Angie, um, we're so thankful that you've been willing to share your story. Um, I think it really can be helpful to a lot of people on, on both sides, people that may struggle with something coming up this year, people that are Maybe just saying, okay, I, I do need to treat that janitor better as I as I go in this year. I, I do need to have that conversation with that grad assistant on the sideline who's working their tail off, you know, trying to get their master's degree and coaching and looking at film and all those things that sometimes we forget about. Is uh, is there any last thing you'd like to share with people before we kind of sign off today? Uh, well, first, I just want to thank both of you for having me. And, you know, it's been, uh, I will not uh, sit here and, you know, even though I say, no, there was never this moment where I didn't think I was going to come back. Um, it was hard. It was a lot harder than what I thought. Um, but to be able to go back on the floor for the first time actually was eight months to the day this past Sunday, um, was awesome. And I think that, um, going forward. And I guess this is always a story to kind of tie into the end is that, you know, you gotta, everybody's got a story, everybody has a journey and, and we're not aware of it. And I think you have to, every time you run into somebody, especially with our partners, um, you just don't know what people are going through. And so I think, you know, to find some compassion with things and um, just to, like you said, treat everybody with, with a little bit of dignity and respect and, and the generosity that you would want to be treated with, knowing that 
you just don't know what people are going through and, um, and just understand that they've got a story, embrace it, if, let them tell it if they have it. And, uh, you know, just love everybody for, you know, three and a half, four hours that we're together and, and then do it again the next day. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the, really the great. quote that, that comes to mind for Angie, right? Cause she's talking about, you know, it's not, not that it didn't cross her mind, not to stop, but um, I have it here on my phone. Cause I make many notes. This is most things are more rewarding when you break a sweat to get them and you are you have broken a sweat to get to come back in October. So congratulations. Absolutely. Thanks you guys. Thank you. Angie, thank you for being with us. As we wrap up, up another uh, episode of uncommon drive, we hope that you'll take, Moments from this conversation, as you think about what it means for you to have an uncommon drive towards success. Everybody, we can't wait to talk to you again next week and uh, hope that this makes an impact on your drive to your next game. Have a great day, everybody. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Uncommon Drive podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And be sure to leave us a five-star rating. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.